0: I'm going to look at something tonight that we haven't really uh, talked about in a while. We've talked about the rapture uh, quite often, uh, especially as we went through the book of Revelation and, and other areas of the scripture. We have looked at this in great detail. But one of the things that I haven't really shared with you and uh, is the, the, there's a couple other different views of the rapture. And I'd like to go through just those tonight at a very high level, meaning um, time didn't really permit me to spend a great deal (laughs) of time on this tonight. I'm filling in for Pastor David, but um, I think what I'm going to share with you is as much as uh, lies within me, I believe it's it's true and it's accurate, but it's not as in-depth as I would like it to be. Um, and that's okay, because I think we just need to have a uh, an understanding of these different views of the rapture. What it is? What is the rapture? So let's actually just get right into it. What is the rapture of the church? <clears throat> the rapture of the church is when the church, made up of Jew and Gentile, we know that the church is uh, an entity that was formed uh, and when Jesus uh, died and was resurrected, the church was born in Jerusalem, and the church was originally Jewish people. And then, as the Jews went out and spread that good news of the gospel, many other peoples of nations, Gentiles, came to know. Especially the apostle Paul was instrumental in sharing that gospel to the Gentiles, and Peter was to the the, the Jews. And so the church is is made up of anybody, really, at this point, um, because there's Jews and there's Gentiles. And so many of us in this room, some of you may be Jews, and the rest of us are Gentiles. I don't have any ounce of Jewish blood in me. Um, I wish I did, but I don't, so I have to live with that. (laughs) But anyway, we know that there's no difference between uh, Jew and Gentile uh, in, in reality, but so the church, made up of Jew and Gentile, this is when the, the church experiences the resurrection. That's what the rapture is. It's the resurrection. If you remember, in, uh let me just go there. Um, you don't have to go there necessarily because I can read it to you, but it's in, I just remembered this. In chapter 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul, he said this, he said, But Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And he gives us a really wonderful verse here. He says, But each one in his own order. Notice, Christ, the firstfruits, and then afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. And um, and I think that I believe that that Christ at His coming uh, could 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 mean certainly the the, the, the foremost context of that is the rapture of the church because we know that uh, Jesus was raised from the dead in a in a in a resurrection body and so we know that He was the first fruits of the resurrection and then there's three different waves of this resurrection. Christ the firstfruits, and then those who are Christ at his coming. So when Jesus comes for us in the rapture of the church, then those who are dead in Christ will rise, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll be with him for all there always. But there's also another resurrection that the Bible speaks of that is part of this first resurrection, if you will. It's called the first resurrection, but there's three different waves to it. Christ the firstfruits. The church at the rapture, and then after the tribulation period, at the very beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected. The Old Testament saints will be resurrected, and we'll, we'll look at that tonight. So that's what the rapture of the church is, but there's some differences on what the rapture really is. And so where does the word ra- and we'll get into that, where does the, ra- the word rapture come from? Well, you won't find it in any Bible, in any English Bible. You won't find the word rapture anywhere. And um, you guys are um, schooled enough to know that uh, I didn't hear any gasps of, you know, are you kidding me? You guys have been telling us about the rapture and it's not anywhere in the Bible? No, the word rapture is not in the English Bible because it's a Latin, Latin word. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, this is going to be a review for most of us. And then we'll get into the three different views. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writing to them, beginning in verse 13, this is a, a critical verse for you to know, because if somebody ever comes to you and says, show me in the Bible where the rapture is, well, you're not going to find the word rapture. So if you try to do a study in an in a, in a electronic you know, Bible app or something, you're not going to find it. And I'll share why that is so. But the, uh, the, the action itself, the, uh, the subject of the rapture is, is in a number of places. It's something that Jesus taught, it's something that Paul taught, and it's something that we know to be true and is coming yet for us. But notice in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have already died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, notice in this verse, this is not Paul's opinion now. Notice this word, and you might even want to underline it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is something that Jesus himself had revealed to Paul. You remember when Paul was saved. Uh, when he was saved there on the road to Damascus, that he was in Damascus for a short time, and then at some point he just disappeared for like three years into Arabia. And uh, it was during that time, we believe, that God revealed a great deal to the Apostle Paul concerning the things of the end times and and doctrine concerning uh, the church, really, But notice in verse 15, for this we say to you, notice again, by the word of the Lord, and not his opinion, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice that, the order of it. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice the, where we go. Jesus here in the rapture is not coming to the earth physically. We're, he's going to meet us in the clouds. He's going to meet us there, but we are going to be transformed. We'll look at that in a little bit. So we will, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. In the clouds, to meet the Lord, notice, in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love he ends it the verse, in verse 18. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And to me, that is a great comfort. Because I know that the end of this uh, craziness in this world is coming to an end for the church. Before all hell breaks loose in the great tribulation period. And I, I mean that. Before that occurs, the church must be removed. And I believe that, and that's a pre-tribulation viewpoint. And from this pulpit for the last 30-some years, that has been taught. That has been... Uh, And there's good reason for that. And we're going to look at the other views too because you can make your own decisions about how you believe about this, but I believe that viewpoint is the most accurate. I believe it it adds up to all of the types in the Bible. The very character of God is representative in this view. And it just so happens to agree with what I'm hoping for as well because I don't want to be here and and suffer the wrath of God because if Jesus died on the cross... For my sin, there's no reason for me, for us, the church, to go through his wrath. Follow me? Because if the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for my sin and your sin, then there's no reason for him to drag me through the tribulation period, to drag the church through the tribulation period, to drag the bride of Christ through the great tribulation, which is his wrath. Why would he do that to his bride and the simple answer is, he won't. How many of you guys want to drag your drag your wife on your wedding night through a bunch of trials and tribulations? And uh, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that because you love your bride. You've purchased your bride at the altar in a sense. You put the ring on her finger. You didn't purchase her, you know. Hopefully not. But you know, you've 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 won her love. And you purchased her love, in a sense, by your love for her as well. So, but go back to verse 17, because here's where the word rapture comes from. Look at the word, the phrase caught up. Underline those two words, caught up, because it's a verb. The word caught up in, in our English Bible is, in the Greek, it's called harpazo, harpazo okay, harpazo, and that literally means to seize, to catch, to pluck, pull, to take by force violently and rapidly. That's what the word means, harpazo. That's what it means in the Greek. Now, you may be asking, well, that's all nice, but what about the word rapture? Well, uh, in the Latin Vulgate, which was translated, um, the Bible was translated uh, uh, into, uh, uh, in- into Latin from the Greek by Jerome in around 382 AD. And so when he came to this verse, he translated this Greek word harpazo into a Latin word, which is rapiamir or rapio or raptus. And that's where we get our word rapture from. Our English word rapture literally means that. It means exactly what it means in the in the Greek and also in the Latin. So that's where we get the term rapture. It's nowhere found in any English Bible. But if you were to read the Latin Vulgate, you would see rapiamir or raptus there for that specific word. And that's why we call it the rapture, because it's an action. It's a verb, which means to violently snatch up off the earth. And see, that's what's... That sounds... Um, violent to us, but it's not going to be because the Lord is gentle, and when he does things, he can do things just like this. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, as we'll look at later, he does it in a twinkling of an eye. And so this word is where we get our word rapture from. But I want to read a verse to you before we get into this, and that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. This is one of those verses that I've committed to memory, and I would encourage you to commit it to memory too and the reason being is because the rapture is dependent upon this thought this thought of god this heart of god and what is the verse for god did not appoint us and now you got to remember paul writing this letter to the thessalonians notice he's including himself in this he says for the lord for god has not appointed us including himself to wrath meaning his wrath are we appointed to So persecution, absolutely. Jesus told us that if you any who live, you you are appointed to suffer persecution as a Christian. You're going to suffer persecution. It's just a question of how much. You may just get a name called. You may be uh, belittled by your friends. You may be whatever. But in the first century, they were actually hunted down by the Romans and killed. They were fed to lions. I've been in the uh, Colosseums where they fed Christians to the lions. And all the Romans were around in the seats. Uh, watching this sport as they put out this poor Christian and he's running around and the lions are going after him and they finally tear into him and just eat him right there in front of everybody and that's entertainment for them. That's real persecution. I haven't experienced that kind of persecution and hopefully none of us will. For God did not appoint us to wrath, his wrath. His wrath and man's wrath are two different things. You follow me? I'm going to suffer persecution at the hand of man. But as far as the wrath of God, I'm not going to experience that. And neither will you as the church because, again, Jesus already took that punishment. God's wrath for our sin upon his son once and for all. So he doesn't need to judge us any longer. And he doesn't need to pour out his wrath on us. But he did do this. But he, For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there it is. So remember that as we discuss these three different views, um, and I've already shared with you my opinion, but we're going to look at these three different views, and you can make your own decision. And I'm obviously going to be pretty biased, I'll be honest with you, because one of them makes no sense. The other one, they have to stretch it, and one fits in like a nice piece puzzle into into a puzzle box. And that's the pre-trib rapture. But the Thessalonian church, uh, Paul wrote this letter, these letters to them, uh, because they were confused because Paul had taught them a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning the, a pre-tribulation rapture means that uh, before the tribulation happens, that the Lord will rapture his church. That's all a pre-tribulation rapture means. It means before the tribulation period occurs God comes for his own and takes her to heaven with him. But after Paul taught them that there were certain people deceivers that had come in after Paul and they had confused the people by telling them that they were that they had missed this mon- this monumental thing uh, they'd missed the rapture of the church and now they were going through the tribulation period and it would seem that they were from their perspective because you got to understand it's all relative because remember the first century church was under great persecution unlike anything we've seen so they, as soon as they started receiving this persecution, they began to get really troubled about what Paul was saying. And especially after, um, after someone came in after Paul and says, oh, you guys missed the rapture. You're not really saved. Now you're going through the great tribulation period. And so naturally people are upset. They're concerned. They're like, what is going on? So Paul writes this letter to, to uh, clear that issue up once and for all. And so we'll look more at that verse later on. But this is, um, um, in Israel, in the Bible, is referred to as the wife of Jehovah. Throughout the Bible, the prophets, the wife of Jehovah is Israel. But the church in the New Testament is referred to as the bride of Christ which we are, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are part of the bride of Christ. And some believe that the church must go through this great tribulation period or God's wrath in order to be purified. Does that sound right to you? (laughs) It really doesn't to me. But there are people who believe that, and, and, and they can believe that if they want. I, I believe they're wrong. And we can still love that. We can still, we're all going to heaven, okay? The main thing is that we believe in Jesus. So these differences that I'm going to be sharing with you are not things that are going to uh, determine whether somebody, a Christian, goes to heaven or hell. They're going to heaven. It's just that we're, we have a, a disagreement on some of these things, But again, if the church needs to go through the tribulation period, which is God's wrath, does everybody understand what I mean by that? I know, I know when we are in Revelation we went through this, but the tribulation period is those chapters in the book of Revelation that begin with chapter 6 and go through chapters 19, verse 10. That whole period, it speaks about the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, and they are all judgments of God, the wrath of God upon the earth to those who have rejected his Son and has rejected him. And you and I, based on 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, will not see that wrath of God. Because if we had to go through that, then what Jesus did on the cross really was null and void. Do you follow? Does that make sense? And that's important to understand. So the three different views of the rapture are the pre-tribulation rapture view, the mid-tribulation rapture view, and the post-tribulation rapture view. And basically what it is, is is this. We all agree that there's going to be a rapture. All Christians who read the Bible believe and know that the rapture is going to occur. The, the difference is some believe that it's going to happen at certain times and others don't. So let me just give you an, an idea. And I'm sorry I don't have a graphic for you because I've got it somewhere. But the idea of a pre-trib rapture is we know this tribulation period is for the world that has rejected Christ. It's a horrible period of time. The Old Testament prophets talked about it being the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th week. Um, And it is a time of wrath from God to unbelieving people, follow? And so some people believe that Jesus raptures the church just prior to that tribulation period. That's called a pre-tribulation rapture. Others believe that somewhere in the middle of this tribulation period, three and a half years into that tribulation period, is when the church is raptured. We'll look at that view. And then there are others who believe that at the end of that seven-year period, just prior to Christ's coming... That the church gets raptured then, and then they somehow come back down again. That doesn't make any sense to me. So those are the three views in a nutshell. And we're going to look at the least likely, in my opinion, and I I believe my opinion is shared by many. And so we're going to look at the post-tribulational rapture, post-tribulation rapture first. And again, that's the belief that the church will be raptured after the great tribulation period. And in other words, that they will have to go through the tribulation period to somehow be purged of its sin. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of awkward to me, based on what the Bible tells me about Jesus' atonement for me on the cross. But anyway, so and and I I haven't spent a great deal of time on this view, but perhaps there's confusion with this um, with this view. Um, because the Bible tells us that the Old Testament saints will be raptured at the end of the tribulation period, and, and more specifically, at the beginning of the millennial reign, because at the end of that tribulation period, Christ comes in his second coming physically to the earth, and we come back with him. The church and new bodies in our in our resurrected bodies we come back with him and then what starts is what is called the millennial reign of Christ or the thousand year reign of Christ okay but somewhere at the beginning of that uh, millennial reign the old testament saints who believed in God but who have died they will be resurrected from the dead at that time because they weren't in Christ they they believed in God from the old testament But this was before Christ uh, was crucified and resurrected. And you'll notice that it's those people who have believed on Christ from that time going forward. There's there's, There's an order to it that the church will be raised first in the rapture, but at the end, or at the beginning, I'm sorry, of that millennial reign, the Old Testament saints. And you may be wondering, well, where is that? Show me where that is in the scripture. Um, You can write these scriptures down for the sake of time. I'm just going to read them to you, okay? Uh, Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. Notice this. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. Notice, he's describing the great tribulation period. There will be a time of of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. This could be referring to the 144,000 Jews which I'm introducing things here that I'm not qualifying because we don't have time right now. But notice, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust, and he's speaking about Daniel's people who are the Jews, shall... those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Notice, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there is this resurrection at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ of the Old Testament saints. And even at the last verse of Daniel 12 and verse 13, he says to him, But you, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest, meaning you shall die and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. At the end of the days. And so there it is. But if we believe the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, then this view has to be dismissed. Meaning if, we know that that's going to happen, but if, if I think the people who hold to the post-trib elation rapture, I believe they might be confusing it with this verse in Daniel. Because they don't, they, it's very easy to confuse the church and Israel. And if you keep those two uh, separate, your eschatology, your study of last things will be much better. You'll under, it won't be a, a, a really confusing mess. So follow me. The Old Testament saints are, are, are resurrected at the beginning of the millennium, but it's not the church. And so maybe they're getting confused with that. And I don't blame them, because if you don't keep Israel and the church separated, you're going to be confused. So because Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 9 says, we shall not, um, uh, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, if that be the case, then I have to dismiss this view pretty quickly. It's the one that makes the least sense. And there are many other reasons, too, which we don't have time to go into. But there's also a mid-tribulation rapture, and this one is the belief that the church will be removed midway of that seven-year period, somewhere in the middle, in the three-and-a-half-year period. And that they will the church will have to go through the tribulation period. But the 70th week of Daniel, or the Great Tribulation, again, is called Jacob's Trouble. That week that is referred to in Daniel is a week of years, a seven-week period. So if it's Jacob's trouble, that means the whole thing is Jacob's trouble, not just half of it. Because there is, uh, some believe that there's a a pre-wrath view, which we'll get to, which we'll we'll talk about momentarily. But the folks who hold to this idea of a mid-tribulation rapture, turn with me to Revelation uh, chapter 11 and this is where they believe the rapture of the church will occur for those who hold to that view now remember in the tribulation period there are three different waves of judgments there's the seal judgments there's seven seal judgments there's seven trumpet judgments and then there's seven bowl judgments those who hold to this view believe that it's at the seventh trumpet, which is about midway into the Great Tribulation period. They believe that it's that moment that the church is removed. But think about this, though. If that is true, then those first three and a half years, which are still God's wrath and his judgment, the church still has to go through that. So it doesn't really fit. And so uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but notice it says in verse 15 of chapter eleven, it says, "Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, And this is where people think that it's the um, the, the seventh trumpet. They call it maybe the last trump, but, but it really isn't. Uh, when we were in First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, remember where it says, "And the trump of God will sound, or the, the, at the last trump well." The last trump for the church, but not the last trumpet during the, 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 during the Great Tribulation period. Those are two different trumpets, I believe. But this is what they believe, that this seventh trumpet, it says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned and the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And so that's what they they hold to. But those who hold to this view believe that the great tribulation only refers to the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, and so they they tailor this view to call it the pre-wrath view. And what that view means is is that they believe, Okay, and I'm going to prove this to you that this is not really correct, this view, but they believe that the first three and a half years of the tribulation period are not God's wrath, only the last three and a half, meaning at the seventh trumpet onward, including the seven bowls of judgment, that's when they believe That that is wrath. So they believe that right before that last three and a half years, that's when the church is raptured at the seventh trumpet. Thus the term pre-wrath. But I don't hold to that. I don't believe that. And why? Is it because I just don't like it? Is it because of my feelings? No, it's not. It's because of what the Word of God says. Again... God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Now, the proof of that is in Revelation 6 through 19, because that is the wrath of God being poured out. Look with me. I want to refute this idea, this idea that only the last half of the tribulation is God's wrath. I want to refute that to you and show you that that is wrong. Scripturally, not because I feel that way. I want to show you to show that to you because the whole entire seven year period is God's wrath. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation. You guys having a good time? (laughs) You're going, oh my goodness, what did I get into tonight? (laughs) But this is good stuff. This is. Doctrine, And this is why the Bible is important. That's why it's good to read and study your Bible, because these kinds of things are helpful. Notice uh, Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. It says, after these things, and and I just want to let you know that this passage that I'm reading in Revelation 7, verse 9, uh, through, what, 14, I think it is? Yes. Um, This is... In the sixth seal, during the sixth seal judgments, do you follow? Remember, in the, in the tribulation period, the, the seal judgments. So we're talking about um, the sixth seal that this is given to us, okay? So those who hold to the pre-wrath or mid-trib view say that the wrath is really only in the second half, but I'm going to prove to you tonight that in Revelation 7, during the sixth Sealed judgment... That wrath is already underway. Look at this. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom giving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then verse 13, then one of the elders answered, saying to me, well, who are these arrayed in white robes? <laughs> and where did they come from? And the Bible says that the, we will receive robes of righteousness, the very robes of Christ. And who are these robed in ro- uh, white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, or, I'm sorry, he asked, um, one of the elders, let me back up here, I messed up the whole thing. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrobed, arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, because obviously John is talking to an angel. And so he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, underline that phrase. It's specific. There is a definite article. That means it is a definite period of time. They came out of the great tribulation. Do you follow? And this is occurring during the sealed judgments. And they've already died, and now they're in glory, and now they're saying that these are the ones who came out of, out of the great tribulation. Do you follow my, my thought here? So this First half of the Great Tribulation period is indeed God's wrath because these guys were martyred and now they're in heaven. And so let's go to another place. The wrath of God is also shown in Revelation chapter 15. Go to chapter 15 with me and look at the first verse of uh, chapter 15. And again, this is the bowl judgments. The bowl judgments. So remember, we had the seals. The trumpet wrath or trumpet judgments, and now the bull judgments, seven of each. And then, right here in verse 15, what does it tell us? Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues or the the bull judgments. Notice in this, and underline this, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Meaning, he's already started wrath but now it's going to be complete. Because haven't we been talking about the seal judgments, the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and he's going to, these last judgments are going to complete the wrath of God. Do you follow? So, and there are other things to consider too. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, it says, and after sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And this is one of the greatest end-time prophecies in the Bible. It's the one that everything is hinged to. It is the central focus of all end-time prophecy. If there's one prophecy for you to look at, it's here in Daniel nine in verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, I believe it is. And um, and we, I've talked about this at detail. But notice, after 62 weeks, and these are weeks of years, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Being cut off means he'll be executed, he'll, he will die, but not for himself, meaning he, he didn't commit a crime in this sense uh, that he did himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And who are those who came and destroyed the city? The Romans. And the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And then in verse 27, it says this. Then he... Shall confirm, and this is speaking of, we believe, the Antichrist, the man of sin who is yet to come on the earth. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, meaning a week of years, a seven year period. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. So follow me with me. If the Antichrist brings an end to the sacrifice at the end of this three and a half year period, midway through the tribulation period, this means that he has had already had to have brokered the deal at the beginning of that period, allowing them to rebuild their temple to begin with. And if he is alive and well here at the beginning of that uh, tribulation period, then we have to be out of here. And I'll prove that to you. Look, at, look with me now at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Everybody with me? I know I'm, I'm, it's really pretty heavy stuff, but probably good to do it with the... Um, on Sunday night, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use you guys as guinea pigs. I'm hoping to do this uh, for the whole body at some point with maybe take a couple different things, teachings to do it. But look with me at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, "Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, meaning the coming for the rapture and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ is a period of time commencing immediately after the rapture of the church, beginning with the tribulation period going all the way into even the millennial reign, so the day of the Lord" Is, uh, not only speaks of God's wrath, but also great blessing for, uh, for the church and Israel going into the millennium. But notice, as though the day of Christ had come, he says in verse three, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away occurs first. Now underline this phrase, the falling away, because I'm gonna share something with you tonight that many of you probably have never heard before. And... Um, This falling away uh, can be apostasia, and this word apostasia can mean apostasy, like you and I would know it. But notice, it says the falling away. Again, the definite article. Throughout the church history, there has always been people falling away, apost you know, um, falling you know, um, uh, falling away from the faith you know falling away from their faith and, and and that's always been happening it's even happening today in america there are people falling away apostasia from the faith that's happening but notice the falling away there is that definite article there is placed there for a reason because it's a specific event it's not just a falling away it is the falling away but this word can actually mean not only just a, a, a apostasy but it has been also, um, and very likely, it means a physical departure. A physical departure. Uh, I, and, I, and as I'm saying that, I want to encourage you to read a book by Andy Woods. He was at the Calvary the Finger Lakes uh, of a year or so ago. And um, he, goes, he writes this little booklet on this verse. Um, I always saw this as a rapture verse myself, to be honest with you. But based on reading this and the, the way the things he presents, it makes it even more a slam dunk rapture verse. Because his whole thing in this, um, and he gets into, and, and, and he's not alone in this either. Um, I would encourage you to get this. If you want to see it, you can come up and take a picture of it or whatever. Great read. It'll change. It'll make what already seems like a verb that substantiates the, the pre-trib rapture, and it makes it even more solidified to me. That's all it does. It just it just nails the the nail on the coffin for me. So that's what the falling away we believes mean. So there has to be a, a a physical departure that has to happen first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who you and I know as the antichrist. And and, uh, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Do you remember Paul says that when I was still with you I told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, this word restrain, restraining" in verse six is a neuter, is in the neuter, but in the verse seven, where it says "restrains," it is in the masculine, and so it makes it very clear that this is actually a person. Meaning the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God in the church. So he says, uh, and then he goes on, and then notice when uh, those when he who restrains is uh, for the mystery of lawlessness. Excuse me, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then notice, and then, and I repeat, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So do you understand? that the Antichrist cannot be revealed based on this verse until the church has been removed. Because when he is revealed, we will call him out. But he has a job to do, and God is going to allow him to deceive the whole world. And we have to be out of here to allow that to happen. We have to be out of here. Whom the Lord, and says, and then the lawless one, then he'll be revealed after he who now restrains will be restrained until he's taken out of the way. That's the spirit in us, the church will be removed, whom the Lord, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. We know this is going to happen. Uh, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because, listen to this, they did not receive the love of the truth. Isn't that an amazing verse? (laughs) The love of the truth. Did you know that by sharing the truth with people you are proving that you love them? When you share a lie, you prove that you are not loving them at that moment. But when you tell people the truth, that's the greatest love that you can give to somebody is by telling them the truth, even if it hurts. Even if the truth hurts, if you tell me the truth, that truth will change me and hopefully set me free. And if your heart is right and my heart is right, I'm going to receive that correction. If my pride is not in the way, I will receive that correction and great And blessed am I, or or, excuse me, not great, but blessed am I if I do that, if I take that correction. And for this reason, notice verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So when the church is removed, this antichrist is gonna come to power and he's just gonna be a politician. He's he's gonna be some man probably from the European Union. He he may even be alive today, we don't really know, but he is going to make a a, a peace treaty with Israel and and broker them and broker a deal to allow them them to build their temple and then it's going to take them about three and a half years to do it and when they finally build it at the midpoint of that we saw in daniel he's going to set up an image of himself in that temple and all during that time there's going to be wrath of god upon the earth we looked at that already It's not going to be, it's going to be like labor pains. It's going to start off with these Braxton Hicks contractions where you feel like something happening and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And as time goes on, as time goes on, as time goes on, finally at the time of the three and a half year period, all hell will break loose when that... Last final seven bold judgments are unleashed from God, the wrath of God, upon the earth, and it's going to get really, really ugly. In fact, Jesus said if he didn't return in his second coming at the end of that, if he didn't come to stop it, no flesh would survive it. It's going to be that bad. No flesh on the earth will survive his wrath unless he comes and puts a terminus to it. So now let's talk about the pre-tribulation rapture. So based on what I just shared with you, I don't really believe the mid-trib view for the the reasons that I stated. But you can read that yourself. There's another good book that I would encourage you to read, uh, and this gentleman, Mark Hitchcock, he wrote a book called The End. This is a fantastic book. If you don't own this book as a Christian, I would encourage you to buy it and read it. It, it's, it's, it might be a little heady, but it's not really hard reading. But he defines the terms in it very well, but he talks about all of this stuff. And he goes into great detail about it. And he backs it up with scripture. It's not just um, his, his thoughts or his feelings. No, these are... And by the way, these opinions that I'm sharing with you right now are, are widely... There is a, there's some really conservative scholars that are holding to these things that I'm sharing with you. And they're all, you know, most of the Calvary Chapel movement um, holds to these, I believe. There may be a few that don't, but that's okay. We're, You know, whether you believe in a post, mid, or a pre-trib, guess what? When the Lord comes for the church, whenever that is, we can discuss it on our way up. Right? (laughs) But I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's going to be a problem because I don't care. I'm hoping that I don't have to go through wrath before God comes for me. But even if I did... I don't care as long as he comes, as long as I be with him. Because I certainly deserve the wrath, but the Bible tells me that Jesus took the wrath for me. So I don't, I don't believe that that view is, is true. But from this pulpit, Pastor Jeff, for over 30 years and for the last four years, I've been sharing a pre-tribulation rapture. This is a belief that the church will be raptured before this seven-year period of God's wrath We've already concluded that that is the case. Before that happens, God will take his church, his bride, to himself. And for God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And one of the verses is in John chapter 14. Remember when Jesus, when he was in the upper room with his disciples before his arrest and his crucifixion, What did he say to his disciples in that upper room that night before he was taken? He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? You believe in God the Father? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice this. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And where you go, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And let me ask a question, where is Jesus right now? Where was Jesus after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, 40 days later he was seen on the earth and then he ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives? Where is Jesus now? Is he on the earth? No, he's in heaven. He says, I will will come and receive you unto myself because I'm preparing a place for you. So when he comes for us, what is he speaking of? You won't find the word rapture anywhere here, but the idea is there. He's going to come and retrieve us where he is. We're going to meet him in the clouds, and our bodies are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Notice, we we looked at this already in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, um, and and I'll read it because it is significant. Again, I do not want, and this is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, Paul writing to them says, for those, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Notice it doesn't say the seventh trumpet. It's just a trumpet of God. It's different from the seventh trumpet that we read in Revelation because that's the wrath of God. And the dead in Christ, notice, will rise first. Yes, all those who are dead in Christ. It doesn't matter whether your ashes were spread out on the ocean, whether you were um, cremated, whether your body is in a casket in the earth. God knows your DNA. He knows everything you're made of. In an instant, he can call and recall, if he needs it at all, he can recall those ashes out of the molecules of anything and reform your body into a celestial body, and you will... Be raised to meet him in a body that's incorruptible, not able to be, uh, have diseases and colds and flus and COVID and heart conditions and all of that. All of that will be behind you at that point. Does that sound like a good idea? I think it's a pretty good idea. I like this a lot. I really do. Can you tell? I really do. I love it a lot. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. There's our word raptus or rapiamir. Or, um, we will be harpazo in the Greek. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And that's a great comfort. Now go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a wonderful verse. Uh, if you want, if somebody says, well, show me in the Bible where the rapture is spoken of. Well, here's another one very clear of what's going to happen, and not only the process of the rapture, but the kind of body that we're going to receive. Now, we're not going to read the entire chapter because it would take too long, but I'm just, and I would encourage you to read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, but we're going to start at verse 50 where it says this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrection body? What did he tell his disciples? Go ahead and touch me for a ghost does not have flesh and bone like you see. He didn't mention the blood. You and I, the blood is what keeps us alive. As long as it's flowing through our body, it's keeping us alive. But once once we are resurrected with the same body like Jesus was resurrected, the blood is no longer necessary, evidently, because he's a quickening spirit. The spirit of God energizes that body. There's no need for blood any longer. That's my opinion. and I think that that's very verifiable in the word of God. But notice, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, meaning we're not all going to die. And we can say that today. Today, there may be some of us who are going to die tomorrow or maybe in forty, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but we shall all be changed, notice, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And he's not talking about the seventh trumpet of Revelation. At the last trumpet for the church, because that's heralding us upward. For the trumpet will sound, notice, notice this too, that when this trumpet sounds, what happens? The dead in Christ will rise incorruptible. Did you see that in the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11? I didn't see it. So a different trumpet, follow? It's a different trumpet. When the trumpet happens, something different happens here. So this is a different thing. So, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible... Or so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And here's the verse, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or O hell, where is your victory? Obviously, there is no victory over hell, or there is no victory for us because the the, the grave has no um, sway on us when we are raised At the rapture, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Isn't that awesome? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. I'm probably going to have to... Okay. (laughs) Revelation chapter 4 want to show you something. When we went through Revelation as a fellowship, I shared this with you. But, and I can't resist this, I'm going to resist it for now for the sake of time, but let me just say this. In chapter 4, um, well, actually, I I must, I, I got to do it. So, um. Verse 18 of chapter 1, there's an outline for the book of Revelation here. Jesus speaking in verse 18, he says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, or hell, and of death. And then he tells John, write the things which you have seen, and let me just tell you, as we go through this little outline in uh, verse 19 is the outline for the entire book of Revelation. He says, write the things which you have seen. And if you read chapter 1, that's exactly what John had seen. He's seen a vision of Christ in his glorified state. So he's already done that. He's already uh, recorded the things that he has seen. And then he goes on and he says, and also write the things which are. And what are the things that he's talking about that are that are... Because John, at that time, was, in the first century, he was part of the church. And those things that are is the church age. And so when you look at chapters 2 and chapters 3, it speaks of these seven letters to the churches. But notice in verse 4, there's something, and, oh, I'm sorry, and then go back to, and he says, and then uh, write the things which will take place after this. After this. meta tauta is the phrase. And wouldn't you know it that in verse 4, after the church age, which is really encapsulated, if you will, in chapters 2 and 3, right at chapter 4, what are the first words you see after these things? The exact same phrase that John wrote back in verse 19 where he says, and the things which will take place after this. The same Greek words, meta tauta. So after these things. After what things? After the church age is finished. And what happens when the church age is finished? The only thing that could happen. When the church age is finished, then God takes his church, right? And what does it say? After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Meditauta. After this. We believe that that right there in chapter 4, verse 1, is just another reminder, subtle and not so subtle... Because John is actually part of the church too, and he's seeing this vision, and God is giving in this for our benefit. So after the church age is done, after these things, Metatauta, I was lifted up, come up here, and he does, he goes up there, and then he receives this revelation of the end times that are unfolding even before. And I want you to understand something too. In Revelation three verse two, um, three verse twenty two, excuse me. You won't see the church in the tribulation period at all. And this is another good uh, pre, uh, pre-tribulation rapture verse for you. Something to think about. In Revelation 3 verse 22 is the last time you see the word ecclesia, which is the church. 3 verse 22 And it's at the very last verse of chapter 3, verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's the word ecclesia. You don't see that word ecclesia again until the new heavens and the new earth. (laughs) Until 22, verse 16, you don't see that word again. So all the things that are happening on the earth between verses, or chapters 6 through 19... The tribulation period, the church is not even mentioned. Why? Because the church is not there. The church is in heaven with Jesus because we've been pre-raptured before the tribulation, or we've been raptured before the tribulation. Follow me? So that's important to know because that is what the Bible says. The church is nowhere in sight in the tribulation period. The word ecclesia is not mentioned. The church is not mentioned now, let me just do this really quickly. I know we're, we're short on time here, and I'm going to make this very quick. But So now we've looked at these different views, and I, I put them in the order that I did on purpose because the post-tribulation position in my post-tribulation rapture, in my opinion, doesn't really hold any water at all, hold any weight. The, pre, uh, the mid-trib uh, tribulation viewpoint um, really doesn't either. It really doesn't. But the, pre-trib, the pre-tribulation rapture view has a lot of doctrinal support. Not only what I've already read to you, but I'm also going to share with you some types in the Bible. A type is something that substantiates an already substantiated truth that God has said. In other words, a type is sort of like the shadow or uh, the, 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 the image, of like a shadow of the real thing. You can't build doctrine around types because types aren't necessarily always perfect. They don't always fit uh, exactly, but there are a number of them in the Bible. We're just going to look at a couple of these really quickly that substantiate this claim of the pre-tribulation rapture, and here is one of them, and you've heard this before, and I'll make this very quick. Before the flood judgment, remember in Genesis chapter 7, it talked about a flood, a global flood judgment that occurred on the earth where God, because of the sin of the earth, had gotten so bad that he caused the waters from underneath and the vapor canopy on top to evaporate. And so waters from below and waters above deluged the entire earth and covered the whole entire world and changed the geography of everything. He did that because of sin. But prior to the judgment in Genesis 7, it tells us this in Genesis 5. <laughs> it says this. Jared, and it's speaking of Adam's genealogy, And he says, Jared lived 172 years or 62 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. But notice verse 21 Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And here's the verse that's really spooky. (laughs) Verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God took him. This is, in my opinion, again, and I think I'm not alone in this, this is like the Hebrew version of Harpazo, of the Greek Harpazo in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it says that God just took him. Literally, God raptured him. And so we see Enoch as a type of the church before the flood judgment. And what was the flood judgment? It was the wrath of God upon the earth, flooding it forever, or flooding it you know, for as long as he did. He flooded the earth, but he removed Enoch, the seventh from Adam. He removed him, and so Enoch becomes a type. And, and the word literally means he was translated. He was translated, and that really describes what the rapture is. And so God removed this man before he allowed this flood judgment upon the whole earth to occur. And so he becomes a wonderful type of the church before the great tribulation period. Does that make sense? Because God is yet again going to judge the earth. And and so there is one of them. Another good one is in Genesis chapter 19, and I'm just going to summarize this and paraphrase. Remember, I, I believe it's in Genesis 19, that before the... Uh, God had poured out his brimstone and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. What did the Bible say? It said that Lot and his family were in Sodom and in and Gomorrah. And, and God, before he poured out his wrath on that thing, remember the, the dialogue that he had with Abraham? Will you, will you judge uh, Sodom uh, if there's 20 righteous people in it? Will you do it if there's 15? Will you do it if there's 10? And he, he, he whittles it down because Abraham had family there. And the Bible calls Lot, even though I believe he was a compromised believer, it referred to him as righteous Lot. And, and living in Sodom vexed his righteous soul. That's what the Bible says. He was a compromised believer, but he was a believer nonetheless. And what did God do? Did he just let him stay in there while he judged Sodom and Gomorrah with, with, with fire and brimstone because he was a naughty boy? No, the angels practically they dragged him and his wife and his family. His sons stayed, and um, you know, uh, and his daughters you know went out with him. But his wife turned around; she became a pillar of salt. The Bible says in judgment. But then Lot gets away with his two wife or two daughters. And God removed them, literally had angels go in and grab him and take him out of Sodom before he rained fire and brimstone upon that evil, wicked city. Do you see the type? Lot and his family are a type of the church. For God has not appointed us to his wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He removed Lot and his family. And one more final one. In Daniel chapter 3, remember when Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian names. Remember that there was a time when Nebuchadnezzar threw those three gentlemen into the fiery furnace. And the Bible doesn't mention where Daniel was at all. But these three men and Daniel were very close together. They were like brothers and yet, during the time of this wrath that, that, uh, that God was uh, allowing these three men to go through, Daniel is nowhere in sight. There's no mention of him at all. And so he was spared that fiery furnace as well. Because he, as well as those three guys... He didn't bow down to the king. He didn't bow down to the idol, and he didn't do all that. So he would have deserved the same judgment had he been there and went through that. But they said, we're not going to do it. And who was it that was with them in that fiery furnace? Jesus. Now, there's more types that this can, can. Um, there's more than one type to this you know, event, but The idea is that Daniel was a type of the church as well. He was removed before wrath was poured out upon his three brothers. So, the conclusion of the whole matter is this. (laughs) Of the three views, in my opinion, and I would encourage you, and and this is wonderful because if you take a a look at these, you know, you get this book or you look at it and you, you take a look at this. Um, You read those and come to your own conclusions. Read other books. Feel free to do that. You know, here's the cool thing about the Lord is that he doesn't expect you just to follow somebody's dogma, okay? You look into it yourself, but I believe that when you look at the facts, when you look at the word of God, mainly the word of God, because I'll be honest with you, I respect Andy Woods. I know who he is. He's a great man. If what he said was not in the Bible, I would not believe what he's telling me. And there's other people, Dwight Pentecost and others, who hold to the same thing, and many others. But not that that matters so much, but he's, it's biblical. So that's my challenge to you and my encouragement, is to read about these things. To read about them so that you know and you have confidence within yourself. Because here's the thing. If I really believe that the Lord could return any time for me and for you, what does that do to me? It makes me a little more serious, doesn't it? It makes me a little more awake and alert. But if I know, if I believed that the Antichrist has first got to come on the scene, and then somewhere in the midpoint of that, three, that, that horrible wrath of God, somewhere in the middle there, I'm going to be raptured then, I would know wouldn't I? I would know exactly when I would be raptured. But the Bible says that he comes like a thief in the night. You don't know when he's coming. And so this expectancy that we have, this fact that he could come for us at any time, it keeps our evangelism alive because we don't know the time. I don't know how much time we've got. Do you? We don't know. The Lord could come before I before I spoke my next word, he could come tomorrow, he could come next week, he could come after the election, you know what I'm saying? So he could come at any time, and if I know when he's coming, and the Bible tells me when, he's, when, when the Antichrist is going to be coming on the scene, because there's signs he tells us in advance. But see, this is going to be really important for people after the church is gone, because they're going to read this, you and I are already in, in, with Jesus, and they're going to actually be able to find a copy of the word and go, oh my goodness, that's what's coming next yeah they're going to look at revelation and they can literally count to the day when Christ is going to come in generalities within a general time they're going to know when he's going to return they're going to know exactly what wrath of God is coming next it's like a menu that's just going to be happening and it's going to happen exactly the way God said it because he's never lied to us do you think he wants anybody to go through this period? That tribulation period? No, he doesn't. So therefore, it behooves me then as a Christian to tell everybody I can about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's what propels me. Paul said, it, I'm compelled to tell the truth and to share the gospel. Because see, that's the way our hearts ought to be too. And, and if you're in a place where you're like, you know, Lord, I just, I'm not there, it's okay to admit that. But admit it and say, Lord, change, change me. Help me not to be so quiet and so unwilling to share the truth with other people around me. Again, you have to do it. You have to be led by the Spirit when you do it. There's no doubt about that. You follow me? I mean, I mean, you can go out and just every single moment that you're alive and awake, you can just be blurting out the gospel, you know, but you got to earn a living and you got to do things. But, you know, be led by the Spirit. There's going to be times where you're going to be talking to somebody and the Lord's like, you know, um, you don't have that unction from him that you should talk with them at that moment. Maybe they're angry. Maybe you, you want to wait a little while before you speak to them. Maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to earn that right to share the truth with them. You follow? We just got to be faithful. We just got to wake up every morning and say, Lord, I'm I'm willing and help me to do that. Help me to do that because this is the deal. We don't want anybody to go through what I just described to you. We don't want anybody to, to go through a death, number one. If they die physically, they'll go to hell if they don't believe in Christ. But I also don't want to for them to, be, to miss this event that is coming, we believe, at any time. And the only way they can not miss that event is if they are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you born again? If you're not born again, then you are none of Christ's. If you are not born again, you will not go to heaven. You must be his, and that is the only ticket to heaven. And then you will be caught up, just like the rest of us, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. But you know what? Let that challenge you because it is a challenge and I know that I'm I've gone a little longer and I it's been pretty heady tonight. But just love the Lord. Let him love you and be willing to share it with others. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, you Lord, we ask for your favor tonight, Lord especially as we leave this place. Lord, I can hear the rain on the roof. (laughs) Lord, keep us safe as we drive home, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for the support that your word is. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not caused us to uh, experience your wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul and my brothers and sisters here tonight. Pray that you continue to encourage him, Lord, and keep us safe. Keep us willing to share the truth with all those around us as you, as you lead us, Lord. And just help us to continue to be students of your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.